0: So today we have a special speaker, uh, Pastor Young who will be delivering God's message to all of us. Um, many of you, you may know Pastor Young Jae, or you may not know, uh, but he is uh, leading our youth ministry at Light Presbyterian Church. And as our brother Josh pray, that many graduates are transitioning from high school to university or next season of their lives but also uh, to new hope. And we believe that God has called us to be one church. And oftentimes when we come to a large church like this, we see our church as a department, and we separate and we departmentalize our ministry. But our high school students are under our care, many of our congregation members are parents of our high school and education ministry. Uh, so we thought it would be really nice uh, for us to have Pastor young uh, delivering the Word of the Lord for not only for those who are transitioning into a new fellowship, but also even for parents and young adults uh, to be ministered by him. So please welcome as Pastor young comes to the podium.
1: Thank you, Pastor Jason.
2: I'll uh, start with the scripture reading for today. uh, today's scripture reading comes from Proverbs 22.4. Uh, I believe the email actually went out as Proverbs 18. Uh, that's 100% my fault. I'm sorry I ended up shifting the focus a little bit uh, towards the end of the week. So that's not on Elaine, that's on myself. Uh, but same topic, same topic. So... Uh, Today's scripture comes from 22.4, Proverbs 22.4. I'll read it for us, and it goes, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. It's the word of the Lord. So, good morning. Uh, So great to be able to stand here to share the word with you once again this morning. I think the last time I had the chance to share with New Hope was probably a couple years ago, two years ago. So thank you for the privilege and the opportunity. Today is actually the last installment of our series, Navigating Life with Proverbs, where we as imperfect beings have been trying to navigate towards the perfect being of God through his given wisdom, the Proverbs. And in wrapping up our series, I wanted to spend some time today talking about the theme of Humility, which is a very prolific theme in the book of Proverbs. So what is humility? Let's start there. I think when we say humility, oftentimes we think of somebody who is passionately ready to deny whatever compliments that they are about to hear. So you say, oh, you're so smart. And the person would probably say, no, 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 I'm not smart at all. I'm actually really stupid. I only got a 98 on my last exam or something like that. Right? When we say humility, we usually think of somebody who goes out of their way to lower themselves. Uh, as a youth pastor, I'm actually required by my job to spy on our kids' Instagrams. Uh, but I see that type of exchange all the time on Instagram. So. One of them would post a picture of themselves doing a pose. And then all of their friends would comment saying, Oh, you're so pretty. And then the account holder uh, who posted the picture herself would reply, No, no, I'm so ugly. You're so much prettier. And then the person would re-reply, No, I'm uglier. You're prettier than me. No, you, no, you. Goes on for hours, and I'm just sitting there. What are you doing? We usually regard that as a form of humility when you lower your own self. But is that really
1: what humility is? Lowering yourself?
2: I don't think so. I don't think it is. Because even before anything, that's not even telling the truth. You're not really even believing that. You don't believe that. You're just saying it. We go back to that first example. Let's say to that person who was saying, I'm not smart, I'm stupid. You actually tell the person and you reply to them, yeah, I guess you are kind of stupid. What are the chances that that person will agree with you, saying, oh, thank you so much for agreeing with me? Not much chance. he will be pretty angry. Or you go to that Instagram feed where the girls are still making that exchange, and you tell them, no, both of you are pretty ugly. What are the chances that they go say, thank you for settling our accounts? Not much chance, even though that's what they said. So never mind if that is humility or not, most of these instances when a person goes out of their way to lower themselves, they're not even really telling the truth. I don't think humility is about lowering yourself. True humility is not about lowering oneself, it's rather absencing oneself. It's not to have a lower view of the self, but rather to have no view of the self. And they seem similar at first, at first here, but they are actually pretty radically different. Because when you're lowering yourself, you are technically still very focused on yourself. Actually, I would say those who lower themselves are actually more focused on themselves than the common others. Because low self-esteem actually comes from being overly self-conscious, overly self-absorbed. And humility is not that. True humility is about having no self at all. It's about taking yourself out of the picture entirely where you're not at the center stage of your life anymore, receiving all of the glory. In other words, you're not talking less about the picture on Instagram that you put up, but you're not posting your picture at all. Or better yet, you don't even have an account. I believe the most precise representation of this concept of humility comes from the word selflessness, which is actually more used in the New Testament. And I love that word because it's so blunt about it, so in-your-face about it. The self is less or not there anymore. The I is not there anymore. The absence of the self, not lowering of the self, is actually at the core of that concept, humility. Uh, in the book, Mere Christianity, Mere uh, There's a section where C.S. Lewis talks about the concept of humility. And to this day, I think it describes it the best. So I want to read it to you. This is what it says. He says, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. That's the important part. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And That is the true biblical representation of the term humility, no self. And what we see in the book of Proverbs is how much God values this state of humility in a person, in a believer. God values humility, he values those who practice it so very much. There are countless references in the book about how much God would bless those who are humble. Our main verse, it says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. God is saying those who are found humble or selfless in their lives will be crowned with riches and honor and life. Proverbs 3.34 says God will bless the humble with his favor. 15.33, 18.12, they second our main verse in confirming that God will bless the humble with much honor. Even with just a very brief glance through the book, it becomes so clear humility means so much to God. God values humility in a person and all of those who live practicing it. And there's a specific reason why. There's a specific reason why God values humility and blesses it to the extent that he does. And it's because humility is a crucial step to getting to where God ultimately wants us to be, and that is to have God at the center of our lives. It is for God to be at the center of our lives to receive all of our glory and worship. Because that's how everything was supposed to be in the very first place. Man's chief end was to glorify God, enjoy Him forever. So not just in the words that we say, but how we live, we were supposed to have God at our center receiving all of our focus, attention, glory, worship, everything. Or at least that's how it's supposed to be. But you see, getting to that level became impossible when we at some point decided to assume that role, God's role, and place ourselves at the center of our lives as the ultimate recipient. In other words, from original sin and on, we decide to become our own God. As our inborn depravity, sinfulness would have it, There's a desire from birth, from the very beginning, a deep, inseparable, insatiable desire for us to be at the center stage of our lives, receiving all of the glory to come. I mean, when you're born and you come out of the womb, you don't come out saying, oh, thank God for the gift of life, or thank you, Mother, for all the labor, or thank you, Father, for a lot of work. I'm sorry, I I don't know. I saw a father and tried to put it in but I don't know what they do I'm sorry no we come out crying we come out crying because even from the very top it's about me and then from birth on it only gets worse because the ongoing very irresponsible message from the world that we hear day in and day out is it's about you it's all about you So our stage only gets higher. Our stage gets higher and higher as life goes on to a point where nobody else or no being else is in sight. Because we're so busy worshiping ourselves who is in the center, we cannot have God in that center to worship Him as we are physically unable to worship two different gods because that's our nature. Our nature, as worship goes, we're very bad at multitasking. It's impossible for us to multitask when it comes to worship. I mean, talking about money, Jesus confirmed it for us, right? You cannot serve two gods. It's either we're worshiping one or the other. In other words, the town is not big enough for the both of us. The center stage is not big enough for the both of us, both we and God. So that's why humility is so valuable. That's why humility is such a special state of being that widely pleases God. It's a state where we're choosing to step down from that high center stage that we've been enjoying for years, and we give way to the actual star of the show, who is our God. Read our verse once again. Says the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, life. But please do notice when it says in the beginning, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. You see how the author is actually equating humility with the fear of the Lord. He's associating the two. And the, new, the NIV actually makes it a lot more obvious. It actually says when you read it, humility is the fear of the Lord, riches, honor, and life. Even. Equating
1: the two as if they're the same thing. And like I said, they kind of are.
2: It's the two parts of the whole. When you humble yourself or when you take the self out of the picture, you can then fear the Lord or make God the center of your picture in worshiping him. The CEV doesn't even care. That version, they just say, respect and serve the Lord. Your reward will be wealth, long life, and honors. They just match the two together. They just assume that they're the same thing. Humility is a prerequisite to fear of the Lord or where God wants us to be. Starting from humility or selflessness, we get to fulfill our existential duty to have finally God at our center to worship him. And now we get a better sense of why the humble are rewarded the the way that they are as well. It's not so much that they're receiving something extra. The humble is simply receiving what they're inevitably due for. Once again, going back to the verse, when it says reward for humility is riches, honor, and life, I hope you you realize it's not talking about earthly riches, worldly fame. Those are actually referring to the ultimate rewards of heavenly riches, divine honor, and eternal life. Because when one chooses to take the self out of the picture, humility, and live a life of making God the center and solely worshiping him, then they will ultimately inevitably find themselves being showered with heavenly riches, divine honor, and eternal life. They'll ultimately enter through the gates of pearl, walk triumphantly over the streets paved with gold, hearing the applauses of the saints, all heavenly beings being embraced by God to live with him for eternity, as those who faithfully worship God from top to bottom should. Reward for humility and the consequent fear of the Lord is riches and honor and
1: life. But here's a problem. Here's a problem. The problem is we're not ready we are not ready
2: to step out of the spotlight, to step off the center stage. I think for a lot of us, we're still firmly holding on to our place at the center of our lives, openly or secretly, receiving all that we have to offer. And, and when things are going good, we can't really tell. When things are good, we can't tell. It really looks our, our, like all of our lives are all about God. It looks like it. We're coming to church, Attending services, serving the community, going on mission trips, tithing, and we look good. We look good on the outside. We look completely God centered. But it is when tried times come, in the desperate times of our lives, the real truth comes out. I mean, it's easy to make it about someone else when you're in no rush or pressure. So easy to open doors for people when you're in no rush or pressure. No, go right ahead. Just
1: tens of hundreds of them. What if there's a fire? You're done opening doors.
2: You're not opening doors anymore. You're actually shoving those people out of the way to get out to save your own self. It also becomes apparent that even that good act of opening the door was actually for our own good. The fire brings out the truth, I think in some ways our fire was the pandemic out of the many things the pandemic has gone to taught us one of the biggest lessons was a realization of how self-centered we still are even as Christians because when pandemic came around we stopped worshiping we stopped serving we stopped giving God glory And that's weird because if everything was for God, at least in theory, there's no reason to stop because God doesn't change. At all circumstances, at all times, God is worthy of our glory and God is delighted in our glory. And yet we stopped. And I believe that that can tell us something about for whose glory everything had been for thus far. And perhaps they were for
1: our own glory.
2: In a recent survey conducted by Barna, it was reported that one out of more than one out of three practicing Christians have stopped attending the church during the pandemic. And when they started to break it down by age groups, they report that more than half of practicing millennial Christians who pr- was practicing previously have stopped attending the church during the pandemic. And I could actually testify to that myself because before the pandemic, our high school, our youth Friday ministry would have 30, 40 students on an average, sometimes more. But when the pandemic came around and we decided to go virtual, the attendance dropped to sub-10, sometimes a handful. And all of these, it's not about numbers. It's not about numbers it's about the heart behind those numbers. Because it was becoming so crystal clear why we've been doing what we've been doing. It was not for God, it was for ourselves. And when the normal was robbed and we were not receiving what we were receiving anymore, our sense of self-centeredness became that much clearer. But, I really hope you realize that when I keep saying we, I'm not just doing that to be politically correct. Uh, I'm actually really referring to myself as one of those people. I was uh, that person who stopped worship uh, when things got bad. Uh, I'm not sure how up-to-date you are about my side of the story, but last March, not this past March, but last one, uh, my family in Korea was hit pretty severely from the first wave of COVID. Uh, we run a hospital in the middle of a city called Daegu, and Daegu was one of the places, uh, or the very first place, where outbreak began. So from day one, the hospital and our, my family became very busy in treating the patients that filed in. But while we were treating the patients, false and distorted news ended up going out regarding something that we did not do and resulted in in months-long battle with the national press and the media went on for months. Really put us under heavy stress. But to make things worse, while that was going on, we had our own outbreak inside the hospital that started from a cult member Uh, who spied into the hospital church, ended up infecting 30, 40 people in the hospital and the church.
1: And we were under more stress, more pressure.
2: But you see, up to there, I was holding it in. I was able to keep things together, maintain my facade. But then came my breaking point, one of the persons infected by the outbreak was my uncle, whom I shared a very special bond with, somebody that I really treasured, not only because he raised me and cared for me, but because he had his share of physical and mental setbacks or challenges that handicapped him for the majority of his life. So he was like the apple of our family. But to make a long story short for you, My uncle walked into that treatment and a month later came out as a deceased person. And when I heard that news, that's when I broke. I began unleashing all of the anger that I had stored at God, starting with, how could you? How could you? I've labored all my life for you. I've dedicated all my
1: life to you. This is what I get. If this is how it's going to be, forget it. I'm done. And for a little while,
2: I turned my back on God. A Good couple of months, even through my journey into Korea, I remember being very angry at God.
1: So I was that person that I was talking about.
2: The pandemic or the fire had revealed who I've really been worshiping. I thought I was doing everything for God. I really, I really believed it. I thought I was. But I wasn't. And when fire came, it became so shamefully apparent that I was not. It's always been me in that center stage receiving all of the glory. And when my bright lights flickered just a little bit, I began lashing out. Myself was
1: so very alive. And I'm a pastor, right? I should know better. But that's how self centered we are and we can be.
2: So what do we do? What do we do? We want to get to a point where God is actually at the sore center of our lives, we're worshiping God only to a point where meaningful rewards are waiting. We cannot let go. We cannot let go of ourselves our will, our glory,
1: ourselves. So what do we do?
2: Well, we turn to the most humble man in history and seek his wisdom, It's Jesus Christ. We turn to Jesus Christ and seek his wisdom. He was the most humble man in history. Actually, it's more accurate to say that Jesus personified humility as he is himself the author of that state. I mean, he came up with it. He's the author. For Jesus, there was no thing, such thing as a self. There's no self in Jesus. For all of Jesus' life, no self existed. Philippians 2 tells us Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ, though he is himself God, chose to empty himself completely or remove the self altogether and enthrone God in his center, at his center, and chose to glorify that God to the very end, the last drop of his blood, humbling himself to the very last moment and giving his life on the cross for the Glory of God. He was so selfless. He was so selfless that even to the very last moment, his attention was never on himself. He's not complaining about unfair treatment that he's getting. He's not expressing the pain that he's going through, which was immense. He's not telling people how divine he is or that they're making a mistake. His Father, forgive them.
1: They know not what they do father into your hands
2: i commit my spirit all of his focus even to the very last glory of god salvation of his people She's ready to argue with you that all seven sayings on the cross utterly completely selfless in nature focus on god jesus christ was the most humble selfless being in history so then how how was it possible How did he do it? That's what we want to know, right? Of course, because he's God, sure. But the more responsible reason Jesus Christ was able to completely empty himself was because he knew the full extent of how good God was. As one with God, as himself God, Jesus knew how good God was and is. God is perfect in all of his ways, works out all things in accordance to his perfect will, and his perfect love. Jesus says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. It is know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, as silly as it sounds, Jesus knew full well how good God is, how righteous and loving God is. And that's why it was possible for Jesus to empty himself, to gladly empty himself and to be filled with God, even to the point of death.
1: So, there's our answer. Dear congregation,
2: though I said selflessness comes before fear of the Lord, it is actually the fear of the Lord that ultimately enables selflessness. As our nature goes, if we're told to just let go, we actually hold on to it even tighter. If we're told to let go of ourselves. We actually hold on to ourselves even tighter. If we're forced off, being forced off the stage. We resist harder. It's like children how they hold on to their toys and you try to force them out of their hands. They clench tighter. That's what we do. That's what we do. So what do you do? You give them something better, and they immediately let go to grab onto something. So the greatest motivation to let go of ourselves and being selfless is to know who is coming in our place. It is knowing that who will come in our place to take that center stage infinitely better than us. It's God. God is coming in our place, and I sometimes I think we don't fully understand or fathom the magnitude of that miracle of God of righteousness and love, righteousness and love who is by nature unable to make a mistake with our lives, that amazing God is willing, is willing, insisting that he'll come in our place and live with us, be our center, reign over us.
1: How can we not gladly take a seat, let him run the show, let him run our lives? We've been running our show our whole life, no matter how good we are, if the Beatles are waiting, you take a seat. And you actually gladly take a seat because you would much rather hear them than you. Now multiply that by infinity
2: and that's our God. And that good God has been waiting so long to take the center stage of your life. So gently waiting for us to realize Him, all of His goodness, and preparing our stage, gladly preparing our stage of the
1: heart for Him. So, while realizing how good God is, comes first. Going back to my story,
2: as I'm wrapping it up, one of the very first things I did uh, after going back, taking a leave, uh, going back, attending to my family, one of the very first things I did was to organize my uncle's stuff. And he loved collecting laptops, uh, so he had like a dozen of them. And I, I had a job of just going through them uh, and then uh, keeping what's valuable and reformatting them. Um, but the computers really had nothing. Uh, just his daily journals uh, entries of his his daily journals that he wrote Uh, he didn't even have Microsoft Office it's just text in TXT form and for every single one of them were contained his confirmations and affirmations on the nature of God good nature of God and God's salvation and for every single one of them they ended with his prayer marked by his yearning and longing for the day he's going to be finally free from all his earthly troubles in being able to finally meet that loving God himself, see him face to face, Just pages and pages of his desperate anticipation for God and his internal freedom.
1: Like I said, he was in a lot of pain.
2: And that's when I realized, as as reading through them, per my take, please don't misunderstand me, per my take, that God listened
1: to his prayers. And God brought him uh, home a little bit earlier than some of the other people.
2: And now my uncle gets to rest in place, no more tears, no more sadness, sickness, pain, and the embrace of God who
1: loves him more than anything. And that's the greatest gift that he could have had, ever received. So dear congregation,
2: God is good. Our God is a good God. At all times, and your life is infinitely better in his hands. I know sometimes it becomes harder to grasp that truth, but if we put our mind to it, we will definitely see it. God has already proven his perfect love, already, even, on, even already on that cross. While we were still sinners, he crucified his own son to save us. And from that cross on, God is continuing to fill our lives with his goodness at every corner. God has planted his goodness at every step of our way. In the good, yes, sure. But even in the bad, as I've come to experience. And we will get to taste and see that our God is good if we are just willing to see them. We're just willing to just look up and see him. god is good all the time all the time god is good and in recognizing his overflowing goodness designated and designed for us i hope and pray that we will gladly let go of ourselves in inviting god into the very center of our lives and giving god and only god the glory and power that he deserves may we all be found on the path of the humble one that leads to heavenly riches divine honor, and eternal life. Let's pray. As we spend some time to pray, uh, can we just reflect? I know all mature people here, but sometimes even mature Christians can be self-centered. When it comes to a certain topic, a certain time, a certain something, there's an urge there for us to take center stage once again. So at this time, let's actually not stop looking at ourselves, but let's fix our eyes on God. Let's ask Him to powerfully reveal Himself to us of how good he is. And in recognizing by heart of his goodness, his endless goodness that keeps good as good as turns bad into good. May we find the power to gladly invite him once again to be the center of our lives. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good. You are so good. You created the world for us. You sustain us, you provide for us. And when we couldn't find our way, you sacrificed your own son for our salvation. And even now, you continue to watch over us until the day we meet you face to face, you continue to lead our lives faithfully, diligently. Father, you are so good. Lord, sometimes we forget and our nature kicks in We want the spotlight again. Father, may you open up our eyes to see once again this morning of how good you are and in recognizing that it is infinitely better that you are in control. May we once again, even in the areas that we couldn't let go, surrender all to God, in being humble, in being selfless, to invite you to be our center, be our everything. And may we live a life of giving you glory and continually giving you the glory forever. Thank you, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.